for the week of January 17th, 2022. This is the Book of Boba Fett TV Talk from Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Book of Boba Fett Disney Plus episode. Today, we are reviewing the third chapter of the Book of Boba Fett, The Streets of Mos Espa, in which Boba Fett must address an ongoing issue regarding a cyber-enhanced biker gang, which he quickly enlists to work for him. Dave, what did you think of this episode? It was an interesting one, wasn't it? I mean, I didn't expect to see, you know, something that akin to the Borg in Star Wars. <laughs> That is totally true. Now, this episode is very much reminiscent of the modern um, Star Wars debate that's going on these days. I mean, it seems like Star Wars can't do anything in modern day without drawing some sort of controversy. Well, I know, we'll right? dive a little bit into that. But yeah, I mean, we got a little, uh, uh, it, a lot of multi-genre stuff going on. And not only just... Like, that's kind of a simplistic way to say it, because there was a lot going on with these characters. But before we dive deep into them, let's go ahead and just dive right into this episode. So the format this week will be a little bit different because there weren't as many, you know, hot tub time machine uh, flashbacks going on as much as in the first two chapters. So we'll start kind of with the modern day, because that's really where the meat of this episode is. Um, and basically, Boba Fett, he's having some issues keeping uh, keeping the leadership down. People in Mos Espa are used to the huts leading things and used to kind of like this, you know, rule with an iron fist type of mentality. And he's not quite willing to do that. And so he gets a nice little visit from uh, one of the citizens of Mos Espa who basically is controlling the water source. He's curved the water market, so to speak. And... He has told Boba Fett that there's this new street gang that have these colorful bikes that are stealing his water, and he can't stop them because they also have done some, you know, robotic things to themselves. And did you kind of pick up on the description that it sounded like this was kind of a similar description to, like, Darth Vader, the way that he was kind of, like, his tone overall just kind of dark and uh they're more fearsome because they're more cyborg than human yeah yeah there there was definitely uh, some tone leaning towards that um once once you meet them and you see them you're saying okay these are just kids that have some robotic parts like the one guy's got got a part robotic leg there's the one that made me think of the borg right away the one that's got the replaced eye um but other than that, they're they're just kids looking for work, looking to survive, and uh, the it is obvious once you meet the characters that uh, the the water merchant is making them out to be much more than what they are. Right, and this is something that, I mean, obviously, as soon as this episode started uh, to stream on the interwebs and people started vo- vocalizing their opinions, there was a lot of disgruntled feelings about this biker gang um so first they're very colorful and the fact that they have these very much 1940s 1950s colored you know speeder bikes um which is obviously uh very much 
inspired by the same things that have inspired uh, Star Wars in the past. So we have to keep mm-hmm. that in mind. Now, we haven't gotten this steampunk level uh, 1960s color on Tatooine. This is something that we didn't really see in Star Wars until we get into you know, episode two, where we start seeing more of Coruscant and we see kind of that's where they fit in. Now, we can get nitpicky about how they don't belong there, whatever we want to do. And then the second thing, we also have to keep in mind that this is directed by Robert Rodriguez. So whenever I started watching this um, episode and they popped up, my initial thought wasn't the colorful bikes. It was like, oh, this looks like uh, it looks like Spy Kids. And that's kind of where my mind went. Um, and that's where I was like, oh, okay, this is clearly uh, Rodriguez's episode that he's directing. And sure enough, you know, when the credits roll, that's what it was. And, you know, so that's kind of where my vibes went with these characters and more so with the cyborg looking character. He for sure looked like he straight, he came straight out of, uh, you know, original Robert Rodriguez character right out of something like the Spy Kids universe. Now, are you familiar with the Spy Kids, or is that a generation uh, later than you? Yeah, it is actually a generation later than me. Um, I've I've heard of them, so I'm not totally under a rock with them. And my wife, uh, uh, who is actually a generation under me in that particular regard, grew up with them. So I do have a little bit of experience with them. And yeah, I do agree. I've seen very similar similar costuming on the spy kids versus what the, what the cyborg biker gang has in regards to that. And while it's not something that would have came to my mind right away, I can, when you, as soon as you mentioned, I'm going, Oh yeah, yeah, that, that does fit with the, with that, with that particular uh, franchise. So yeah, I can totally see that. And there was a lot trending, you know, last week when this episode aired, you know, uh, it, they got the Power Rangers to be trending. And so whenever you looked, if you're on Twitter, if you followed anything going on, it was like Power Rangers were t- trending. And it wasn't because they're coming out with a new Power Rangers film, which I got my ex- myself excited about when I saw that trend. But immediately I open it because I, you know, I try to avoid any spoilers before I watch the episode. And this was yeah. kind of early on. Um, on Wednesday, you know, people are staying up until, you know, ungodly hours in the night to watch this episode. And so it was like, you know, as soon as the morning hit, Power Rangers is trending. I click on it because I'm like, oh, yes, Aben and company, they're they're bringing them back. They're, we're getting another one or we're getting a reboot, whatever it is. And then I immediately saw these bikes and I was like, OK, got to stop looking there. But, uh, you know, a lot of stuff was going on. A lot of people are upset. Now, do you... Did you feel like this was out of place, or did it still feel enough like Star Wars for you? It would have felt out of place for me if they would have been actually on motorcycles. Beyond that, no, I didn't. Didn't ruin anything for me. I was just, I was in the episode. I loved the chase scene uh, between the the speeder and the speeder bikes. It was sure they're a different style, but who cares? They're still hovering. They can do all the stuff in universe that the regular ones that we're used to seeing can do. It was not a problem for me. I just thought it was cool that we had some actual color on the desert planet for a change. Well, and and kind of putting it this way as well, like, you know, every city sees their trends and, you know, what we want to call these new trendy things, whether that's hipster, steampunk, whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. if you're in the U.S. and you've ever been to Los Angeles, you know that there's a very different 
style in, let's say, Silver Lake than there is, you know, when you get into Bakersfield, you know, things like that. If you're in Canada, you know, you might be in the Chatham area or Chatham area. Sorry if I pronounce that wrong. And then when you go up to Toronto, there's going to be completely different style in different areas of Toronto than there is in Chatham. And, you know, it's just the way the world works. So that's kind of how I viewed it. Like I viewed these uh, misfit teens, if you will, or Island of Misfit Toys, like however you want to put them. These are clearly kids out of place intentionally, um, whether they've given themselves the symbolic scarlet letter or they have been cast out of society and are, you know, kind of this similar like Robin Hood-esque Han Solo inspiring type of biker gang. And that's how I saw it. And it didn't feel... Uh, too far out of place. Like, obviously, these bikes stand out. But again, that's kind of how kids are these days. Oh, absolutely. Like, for me, uh, the like, for me, the easiest uh, comparison I can draw is a few years back, I was working in telecom, and I had to op- help open a center in uh, Louisiana. This was in Lafayette. So it's just a few hours away from New Orleans. So, of course, I'm going to go. And even with that type of a distance, you can there even back. This is just back right, right around Katrina, just after we went, and the French Quarter had just opened up, so it was probably not at its best when I saw it. But still, I can make the same comparison. Lafayette to the French Quarter, two different things. Yep. But yeah, uh, and they fit exactly. And so, moving on from kind of there, I just wanted to address how we felt about these characters because this is not over. Like we haven't seen oh, no. the last of these characters and we haven't seen the last of the, you know, the vocal trolls on social media complain about them. But uh this episode kind of takes another turn from this point. So Boba Fett enlists these uh, you know, this biker gang to help him basically. He sees that they're out of work and kind of staying true to his uh, mentality. Like, well, you live in the workers district, like you don't have a job. Okay. Come work for me. And so he hires them as to be basically his bodyguards and spies, eyes and ears of Mos Espa. And, uh, you know, immediately we get this, uh, second assassination attempt where we have BK or, uh, black Chris, uh, Chris Satan, and he tries to kill Boba Fett you know, takes him out of the the hot tub time machine, chokes him out a little bit. He gets into uh, quite the scuffle with this character and kind of showing off this character for future things, whether that's in this series or whether or not we see him in uh, Obi-Wan, which has been a lot of the rumors. Because if this is just a preparation to see him in Obi-Wan to see how many tools this Wookiee has in his tool belt, like... So he can go toe to toe with Obi Wan or help out Obi Wan in that series. Like whatever the rumors are, there I'm all for it. But what did you think this overall fight with this ginormous gladiator of a Wookiee? Oh, this was a great fight scene. I mean, you're coming right off the you're coming right off the flashback because this is how you get out of it. You're being pulled. You're being pulled out with Boba out of the Bacta tank and. All you see is hair all over. It's, it's it's a great way to way to start into it. Total surprise. You don't see it coming. You know it's coming because of the last episode, but you you just don't see it see it happening here. And then 
it just goes in. They start fighting back and forth. Boba get, tries to get off a shot with a gauntlet that he tries to pull on. Doesn't quite make it because Kersitan has one of his own. That brass knuckle spike electrical thing that he had. That thing was just bloody awesome. Um, then he gets the, ba- the, the, the gaffy stick out. And then the kids come in and they're using their, their electrical stuff. It's just well choreographed. And pretty martial for what they were using too because you can go into uh, back to the samurai stuff and the karate stuff and all that you can liken a few of those uh things like the the one thing the guy the kid was swinging i couldn't see exactly what it was but it's it's like a chain whip Mm -hmm. yeah and this was all like you said it was very well choreographed and there's you know a part in this scene that wasn't as well choreographed or planned out staged out i should say the proper um, but this fight was definitely it checked all the boxes of that. You know, you're showcasing this character for whatever reason in the future, mm-hmm. and the fact that he can go toe to toe against Boba Fett, and that he is smart enough to not take on Boba Fett in the Mandalorian armor. So I think this speaks volumes to you know potential what is actually yeah. canon and what's not. Like he's very much aware of Boba Fett. Like, hey, don't like sneak up on him. You know, to, you know, do the little the cowardice uh, kill if you want to, but don't let him get in the armor. And so that's kind of what this whole fight, uh, in my opinion, what he was doing. And then also the resourcefulness of this gladiator who is able to sneak into this very secure castle. I mean, up to this point, Boba Fett has viewed this to be a very safe location to the point that he has, you know, his balcony open, right? Like his doors are open to his balcony. He's not too concerned about everything no one's guarding him while he's asleep so he obviously feels some sense of security that mm-hmm. this wookie was able to bypass and use his resources to get through so you know all these things about this character now they end up trapping him and then the next morning the twins arrived the hut twins that in my opinion i thought these were going to be the yeah, characters of conflict for this series but they very quickly come in do the classic, like, we don't want to die for this sandy place. Like, the land has been promised to other people. The territory has been promised by the mayor to these other individuals. And so that's kind of, you know, really interesting turn. We knew that something was going on with this mayor, but then we find out from the twins that the territory has been promised. And the twins just kind of leave and are like, hey, you know, I, in my opinion, I think they're hoping that everything goes to war so they can come in and clean up after. Like, they're hoping maybe they might just kill each other. And right. Moss Espo will be theirs for the taking. Yeah, and Boba himself in the episode said the exact same thing. Like, we were all thinking it. Okay, you're, here go the huts. They're they're playing the long game. They're, they're going to come in after everybody's killed each other. And, you know, we'll get thinking we'll get our way one, one, one way or another. But I, what I, what I was really surprised at here, and I see you alluded to it in the show notes too, um, the gift they gave his tribute. I did not see that pit being filled back up so soon. Yeah, and with a very, you know, the, I don't know. Obviously, some of it has to be CG, right? But yeah, they, a lot of this looks like some animatronics going on as well. I mean, we haven't seen the Rancor in action. But you've at least seen the eyes move around. Yeah. This looks very much like the animatronics from, you know, like uh, Spielberg's Jurassic Park type of stuff where it looks very uh, practical. This is obviously um, a huge baby rancor. But, yeah, they are filling it up and 
immediately Boba's like, I want to ride that thing. Yeah, yeah. It, this is one of those things where if you're not paying too much attention, you miss the Easter egg that was dropped where they uh, mentioned the, the witches of Dathomir riding these things, which is where Boba got the idea. But it's still, no matter how he got the idea from the Rancor uh, Tamer mentioning the, the witches, um, riding that, that Rancor, that will certainly put him in the area. Okay, he's riding a freaking Rancor around Tatooine. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta respect this guy at least a little bit. Yeah, and that's kind of that's gonna be a symbol. And honestly, that was his symbol when we first saw him in the holiday special. I can't think of what animal he was riding on, but he was riding on, you know. I think he alludes to the actual beast that he rode on when he says that he has yeah rode ridden, something ridden bigger, yeah, similar. Um, so obviously from the holiday special where Boba Fett was created, you know, when we first see Boba Fett, it was there as a cartoon character. But we kind of see this, uh, you know, a number of these Easter eggs that are thrown in there uh, throughout the series, which is very much John Favreau-esque. Like, let's throw enough of these out there for the people that know and those that don't know. They'll find out later on and be just as excited. So a lot of fun stuff going on with that whole dialogue sequence. And then, of course, the Robert Rodriguez Easter egg that he throws in there is adding Danny Trejo to the mix as being kind of this rank or <laughs> tamer. Now that is a role that I never thought I would see Mr. Trejo play. No, the last thing I saw him play was in the flash. He was playing a um, multi-dimensional bounty hunter. Yeah. That's the last thing I saw him in. And then he shows up here in Boba Fett as a guy taking care of an animal. <laughs> wow. And not only that, but he's kind of this, like, a sentimental uh, character. Yeah. Where he's like, hey, these Rancors, they're, they're very beastly, but at the same time, like, they're very loyal. So we're going to see, again, kind of this different side of Rancors. We got teased in the Bad Batch with kind of how Rancors form attachments, yep. but we haven't really seen anything apart from that. And so there's a lot of things that they're just kind of thrown out there for us, these you know, whether it's teasing for future things, whatever it is, but I'm all for it with what's going on with Boba Fett in this Rancor. Oh, absolutely. It will be interesting to see. So Finnick and Boba, they decide they need to pay a visit to the mayor, and they kind of do this, you know, showing their their power by showing up there with the cyber gang uh, on their colorful bikes. And um, they basically see the mayor's not home and that the the assistant the whatever major domo whatever you want to call him he kind of sneaks out and this starts this kind of another thing that was extremely criticized from this episode was the way they shot this this scene uh with, between the bikers and this uh, you know the mayor's assistant it seemed very uh slow it didn't seem like a high speed chase just the way it was shot and there are a couple of different reasons like they may have very well have put these speeders you know they may be practical bikes they may may be practical motorbikes and the car may be a practical or the um you know the hover car may be a practical car as well and they just kind of in post production um remove those things so when you're thinking of stuff like that like of course unless you're having these skilled stunt doubles in these vehicles you have to go like 15 miles per hour like that's kind of the cap 
that a lot of these um, actor agencies have mm-hmm. to protect their actors. I mean, we can't just be putting these unskilled people out there on these bikes and telling them to go, you know, hundreds of miles per hour. So that could be a potential reason why it seemed like a little bit of a slower um, chase. But again, it mostly did its intended purpose for me, which was it highlighted the skills of this this biker gang, that they can do a number of different things in their pursuits. So that's kind of how I how I took it. I definitely saw what people were talking about when they said it seemed a little, you know, choppy. It didn't seem, it didn't seem intense enough. And, you know, this isn't, uh, it's obviously a high budget film, but in order to do something at that level that people wanted, it would have to be this episode alone would have to be in close to $10 million. Yeah. And I I don't care who you are, Disney, whatever, we're we're talking about a approximately a five to seven episode length first season here. You're not spending that kind of money on a single episode unless there's something extremely special you need done, like for example, at the end of uh, Mando last season where they bring in Mark Hamill to do Luke again with the CGI and all that. That couldn't have been cheap, but this isn't the episode for it in Boba Fett. The, you, this is you're just trying to they're just trying to establish some stuff here. We're 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 looking at the first season um, of of any show. You don't get the big budget, you know, good stuff until later. You just wait on it, people. It, it'll come. And it also just shows how spoiled we've been in TV in the last. Two yeah, years. like Game of Thrones just ruined society in terms of what TV can do, and as far as like budget goes. And so now we expect everything to be at that scale and when it's not that scale that's what we compare it to and you know to be fair it is a massive uh, production company in disney that's putting this on but they're not throwing game of thrones money at it uh, no quite yet like maybe they'll get there obviously the mandalorian had some more funds thrown at it in season two but you have to take your time with these things test the waters what's the intended purpose and obviously this is getting far more funding than most uh first oh, yeah. seasons of tv shows so anyway what this chase ends with is the confession that the mayor is working with the pikes the pikes have made their way to tattooing and so this is kind of the uh what leads us into our coverage of the flashback but we saw in chapter two that bubble fett has basically derailed the train and has told the Pikes they have to pay a toll to the Sand People now. That the Tuscan Raiders are cutting through their territory. It's time for you to pay them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some teases of another more violent biker gang that we saw Bubba uh, confront in the cantina in the last chapter as well. And so just a number of things that are kind of setting the stage for the pikes as the villain for this season of boba fett and he kind of meets with them and the leader's like hey we don't have any reason to pay two people so what's it going to be and boba says basically i'll take care of it but when he gets back to his uh newfound home with the tuscans it has been uh destroyed and from what i can tell a large number of the tuscans themselves have been slaughtered i mean it's just not Mm -hmm. You know, not good luck for the Tuscans. Like, this is the second time we've seen, like, an entire village slaughtered. Um, 
And so we get kind of this whole slaughtered village, which brings in this very much like Western expansion vibes, what we've seen from things like, you know, uh, even in classic films like, you know, The Last Samurai, Dances with Wolves, Mm -hmm. any type of film that has a similar theme of kind of European expansion or in this case, very much, you know, Western expansion of the new world where we've seen, you know, these villages just get destroyed. And so a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, Boba obviously ceremonially buries the ones that are there, puts them to rest through kind of this flaming ceremony. Now, with all this stuff going on, what was your initial thought? Like, did you catch a lot of these callbacks? Yeah, yeah, I did catch a lot of that. Like, I, you mentioned Dances with Wolves, Last Samurai, both movies I, I'm very familiar with because I've watched them multiple times. And Western has always been a big uh, genre for me because that's just the way my uncle, my dad have always been as far as their favorite movies go. So I grew up with, I grew up on this stuff. So absolutely, I, I saw saw the uh, the parallels to the westerns and whatnot. But I must say, the one thing I was half looking for, I knew it wouldn't be there, but I was looking for the Tuscan with a lightsaber strike down it just because and so you're going oh not again <laughs> anakin i thought you were dead man vader yeah. why did you come back just to slaughter a village and leave <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely bad luck for these tuscans like once again we've seen this village get torn down but at the same time where it's it's kind of ha- it has a different emotion set yeah. to it like this isn't setting up the bad guy but this is you know hitting us where we have seen you know, uh, through Boba's eyes, what these people are really like and what their goals actually are. And obviously the Pikes are at least indirectly responsible for oh, the for slaughtering. Sure. But of course, we saw the symbol from this gang that is uh, terrorizing this portion of Tatooine, um, you know, basically plastered or s- spray painted, whatever we want to call it on the tents there. And, uh, Obviously, those are the people that Boba Fett was competing with, and I would assume the Pikes gave them the same message that they gave Boba Fett when they came Probably. to collect their funds later. So they just decided, let's just slaughter them. Um, so this sets up the vendetta that Boba Fett may or may not be on currently. Like I don't know if his intended goal was to encounter the Pikes again, but here he is. He has at least encountered them again in modern day in Tatooine where uh, this season's conflict is coming together with the Pikes and you know that I wonder how this is going to play out like I have a feeling this might lead to you know a couple of very violent uh, in terms of Disney plus standards very violent episodes in the near future yeah I, I agree I I mentioned it when uh, Bell was on with us for the first episode of this season that we as fans of the Arrowverse have seen this type of storytelling before in Arrow and Filoni and Favreau are using the storytelling in the same way that the WB did with this in Arrow. When you see the two plots converge, you found your, your bad guy. Like you're saying, this is going to be the Pikes for this season and most likely what will happen. And we'll see if I'm right on this or not, but most likely what will happen past and present You'll see Boba fighting it out with the Pikes. One he'll fail in and one he will succeed in. That's my guess. 
Yeah, and I would assume that probably leads him on his journey to find his armor. Like, I'm, he yeah. might get the crap beat out of him and realize, like, oh, I need my dad's old armor back. And that might, uh, you know, like you said, kind of where the plots um, meet and we see kind of this uh, leading to right up to where we saw mm-hmm. Boba Fett introduced in Mandalorian too. Like, it could be very, like, that seamless where we see him standing over the horizon and we see our Mandalorian on his speeder you know, going, uh, going through the dunes. So it might be something as, uh, you know, complex as that where the, cause it's, it's clear that mm-hmm. this is a very well thought out episode. I don't think they're doing the traditional sitcom. Let's no, meet at, at the table after every time we film and plan out the next episode. This is something where it's all been written ahead of time. Favreau has sat, sat down and spent a lot of time on it. And honestly, he's probably been writing this specific plot before he started writing Mandalorian, because of course we know that's what his goal was. He wanted mm-hmm. a Boba Fett story, so he very well could have had this in a notebook, stashed in his dresser, uh, you know, a la Nolan like. But uh, you know, this is huge. A lot of stuff moving forward. Um, with that being said, Dave, what is your biggest takeaway from this week's episode? Be prepared for anything. I mean. You have to be prepared for anything with this with this series. You end up, as if you're not, you end up, you know, being surprised by a big old Wookiee whip ripping you out of a Bakta tank. That's that's really uh, really the thing. Plus, if you can take some time after you've watched the episodes and go back and look for the Easter eggs you missed, because I guarantee seventy percent of the people missed the uh, callback to the Mandalorian where we see uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, the 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 uh, the bear, the bay mechanic, plus her three button journalist droids walk in the background. Yep. Yeah, just these small little details that they have there. Um, obviously, this is kind of they understand the timeline they're dealing with. Like, if you've questioned what uh, you know Favreau or Filoni ever, I don't know who would question them, but if you ever did, they definitely know when and where and what they're dealing with in terms of this series and, of course, Mandalorian. Um, it gets you excited for everything else. It's going on, of course. The next one is going to be the uh, arguably the most anticipated yeah. uh, Star Wars project ever in a Obi Wan standalone series. Like that is something people were talking about in the seventies and eighties. Like they wanted to see more Solo Obi Wan. But until next week, you can keep up with the show on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at starwarstvtalk.com. You can find the rest of our shows online at StarWarsTVTalk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a five-star review. You can find more TV Talk podcasts at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you always.